Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. Remember, remember, it's the 8th of November. We've got a T20 World Cup extravaganza. The four teams that we predicted at the start of the tournament, of course, have made it through to the final four. So we'll be picking a winner from our most excellent uh, predictions. Most listeners will know, of course, that that isn't the case. Board is going to explain where the semis are taking place. We're going to talk about whether or not the best four teams have made the semis. And we'll all get off the fence and tell you who's going to win and why. Coming up on the Top Order Podcast, stay tuned. Bori, coming to you first with another one of your famous explainers. It should be pretty simple. Four teams, two grounds, and a piece of silverware up for grabs at the end of the week. But give us the permutations for this T20 World Cup semi-final stage. Yeah, nice and easy one tonight, Banksy. Just the four teams left in the ICC Men's T20 World Cup for 2021. England, Australia, Pakistan and New Zealand are all that remain of the 16 teams that started this tournament. We're down to the last three games. There's two semi-finals and a final to come. Let's have a look at who's going to be playing who. So on the 10th of November in Abu Dhabi, England will take on New Zealand in a rematch of the 50-over World Cup final uh, for the right to play either Pakistan or Australia, who will meet in Dubai the following evening on the 11th of November. Winners of those games will go on to the final on the 14th of November. All matches start at 6pm local time, so for our New Zealand audience, that will mean an early start, 3am, if you want to get up and see England take on New Zealand in the semi-final. As I said, winners progress to the final on the 14th of November. That'll be played Monday morning, New Zealand time, I believe. And there will be a reserve day for both semi-finals and the finals. So if play cannot be completed uh, or there's not a match constituted, at least five overs aside, there will be a match played on the reserve day. And if a match starts on the scheduled day and following an interruption, no further play is possible, that match will also start on the reserve day. I know everyone in New Zealand and England is hanging on the result of a tie. So any of the semi-final matches are tied. There will be a super over. If the super over is also a tie, then subsequent super overs shall be played until there is a winner. Unless exceptional circumstances arrive, there arise, there will be an unlimited number of super overs played, i.e. unless they need to turn the lights off at the end of the night on the ground. So that's the only reason that I can see, other than potentially uh, it teeming with rain, which is unlikely in that part of the world at that, at that, at that time. So we will have a result, you would think, uh, from these two semifinals, England against New Zealand and Pakistan against Australia. Baldy, that's a, a a perfect explainer, and I'm going to move swiftly on from those super over comments, and and sort of go to you've just named the four teams in the semi-finals. There's been a bit of chat recently about you know the format of this tournament and actually whether the best four teams have made the semi-finals. So I'm going to throw that out to you guys. Do, do you think that we've got the best four teams that are now at, at the business end of this competition? Well, I actually, I think that uh, best is very subjective in terms of that, but I think the teams that have played the best have probably made it through. There's an argument there for South Africa, who have played really well. Uh, I think, Stu, you uh, picked them prior to the tournament, being a bit of a dark horse. Uh, but I think that they the, the best teams have made it through. I think Pakistan and England, for me, are probably the clear favourites in terms of uh, how they've played in each pool. But I think the second best teams are, are right. I think that we've got the right teams there. 
I don't think there's a case for any of the teams other than the four that have made the semi-finals to to say that they played better cricket or are deserving to be there in place of any of the four semi-finalists that are there. India played two poor games and were out of the tournament. West Indies had a disappointing um, couple of games and didn't have enough left in the tank to come back. And South Africa, yes, they play really good cricket, but they also lost their game against Australia in a close game and Australia snuck home as a, as a result of that, of that win. So I think probably only South Africa could make a claim to be unlucky to miss out on the semi-finals, but that's the nature of, of net run rate in a tournament such as this. It's funny because um, I think the, the chat around it certainly seemed to happen before New Zealand played Afghanistan. And, and it's been, what I've seen, it's been framed around, you know, the two week, well, the, the two pools not being of, of equal strength, which you can make your own mind up. I think, I think it's quite clear that certainly there has been some easier games for uh, the likes of New Zealand, India, Pakistan, um, you know, unfortunately, Namibia and Scotland just don't get as many games against this this level of opposition to to really put their. You know, they they have certainly both those sides actually played pretty well against New Zealand, but and I think that's what brought this on in that New Zealand haven't necessarily looked convincing in all their games, and people were saying, well, South Africa's played really really well, and and I think we should absolutely give them a shout out. They've, you know, they've one of the few things that I've actually been semi right on uh, in that they've they've really played well and I think they they've showed that they can beat anyone on their day but what I, I think the point I want to make around New Zealand is that New Zealand actually this is kind of the way they play their cricket they just do what they have to do to win and it and I don't think I think it when we started previewing the tournament we talked about how they maybe don't have the firepower of some of these other teams and maybe that's why they can't win the tournament but actually, you look at the way they've gone about things, they kind of just, it's just been a New Zealand way of getting to the total they need to. They haven't had to get to a big total because they've fielded really well, they've bowled really well. So, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. Um, I think anyone kind of complaining about New Zealand, uh, you know, not being one of the best four teams, I think just there's no real case for it. You're absolutely right, Stuart. They're the Backman Turner overdrive of tournament play they just take care of business don't they moving swiftly along from that beautiful uh, simile we've got our finals or semi-finalists who is going to take home the tournament here who's going to win the two semi-finals and why I think Australia have overachieved overachieved just getting to the semi-final so I have no more expectations of Australia taking down a Pakistan team that's just swept all before them really so I'm going to put my um, my Bolos on the line and say that I think Pakistan beat Australia in the first semi-final. Of course, I'm going to be wrong, but that also means Australia make the final. So I'm I'm happy either way. But Pakistan, look, they just look far too strong for me. And and up and down the order, they've got veterans just carving it up that have been playing cricket for I think one of them has been playing since 1998. It's an incredible story. Um, but I think Pakistan will be too strong for Australia in the first semi-final. I don't want to predict the second semi-final. I want you guys to to give me your thoughts because you guys have got skin in the game. Who wants to jump in first and, and predict the Australia-Pakistan semi and, of course, the one that you guys are all invested in? Baldy, before we do that, I think I just probably want to call out the, the Pakistan scenario. So who would have thought when we started previewing this tournament? I think we referenced that we thought there were a chance with their talent. Um, but look, I don't think it was a unanimous decision that they were going to make it through to the the semi final stages by by any means, which is not going to surprise too many listeners. One of the 
I guess, things leading into that England game against South Africa and in the aftermath of that game was that England actually got their first real test of the tournament in that game. And I've said to you guys privately, I think that that was a really good thing from an England perspective that they had a run out and and really, you know, got to the stage where, look, to be honest, they weren't at the races from a fielding perspective. I wonder whether it was the fact that they'd taken their foot off the gas a little bit. Um, There were a few overthrows. There were a couple of um, auditions for, you know, the next soccer star trying to, you know, boot the ball into the stumps and giving away some overthrows. And then Jason Roy, um, you know, going down lame, um, when England were, you know, cr- relatively cruising at, I think, 40-odd uh, for, for none in that first innings. But that test was really good. Pakistan, five from five in the group stages. And look, barring, I guess, the sort of one chase, which when you actually look at it, they won in 19 overs, I think, uh, five down against Afghanistan. That was the closest game they had. But when you put that into a T20 contest, to win a game, low-scoring game with an over to spare is actually still pretty convincing. So that's my concern, really, for, for Pakistan in that game, that they haven't had that run out. And Australia have just started to find their straps a little bit with Warner um, at the top of the order. Zampat, the leading wicket taker, I think, in the tournament so far as well. So for me, it's Australia um, coming out of that bracket just because that you know they've had a couple of arse nippers during the course of uh, the tournament. Uh, in terms of the other one, I'm going to leave that to the Kiwi boys because I'm not making any predictions on this other than, of course, England will be uh, flying home disappointed and dejected because uh, New Zealand have got to be favourites with uh, the way that they've played throughout the course of this tournament. <laughs> We'll come back to that comment. Just I wanted to pull up one thing. Didn't you say that Pakistan were going to be the dark horses or possible dark horses to win this for you? Yeah, I think I did. I was just actually being relatively modest that none of you guys had the same thought process. So uh, <laughs> Lippy, of course, saying that England would uh, crash out of the tournament at the group stages. Um, Baldwin <laughs> and Reddy, um, obviously seeing a little bit of um, nepotism that New Zealand and Australia were easily going to go through. And of course, the mighty um, India and the West Indies, I think, were the, the other choices um, that you made. So yeah, Binksy got it right with the dark horse. <laughs> okay, Um Again, another chance to swiftly move along. I actually agree with you around the Pakistan and um, <laughs> Australia bracket to, to some extent. I think it is very much a 50-50 one. 2020 cricket is a uh, inconsistent game at best, so I think there is any chance, either chance, chance for either of those teams to get through. But I think I would be backing Pakistan, though, uh, if I had to put some hard-earned on it. With the New Zealand-England one, I think that's a bit more clear-cut. I feel like the, the, the English team... Uh, they they have a better balance. They seem to have more plans when it comes to uh, their their one one day white ball cricket, and and have demonstrated that over a while now. Um, I'll throw over to Lippy. Just a question on the Black Caps. What do you think? Uh, what do you think their makeup will be when it comes to that bowling lineup? Yeah, it's it's a great question. I, I had a similar thought because um, I think having it in Abu Dhabi, certainly from what we saw yesterday makes it makes that much more of a conversation because I think at the start of the tournament we would have all gone, oh, well, definitely you're going to have two spinners, you're going to have Santa and Sodi just leading the attack, and it's about then do they have three frontline seamers uh, like they've had with Milne, Bolt, and Southie, or do they kind of try and leave even leave one of those guys out, play another batter, and then make up your overs with the Nisham and, and Chapman and or whoever who are Phillips, whoever else you, you want to try and do that. But now the way that they bowled yesterday, 
the seamers were much more effective. It was a weird, uh, I mean, a weird kind of game in that New Zealand's seamers looked way more effective than our spinners, but obviously Afghanistan's spinners looked much better than their seamers. But I think that's probably a reflection of the the relative strength of their sides and and the way that New Zealand plays spin, certainly in this tournament, uh, and Afghanistan plays pace and and probably at more you know actually extreme pace. Someone like Adam Milner thought bowled really really well. Looked looked you know, the best spell that he's bowled. Um I I yeah, I I why don't I, why don't you guys finish on the, the Pakistan uh Australia chat before I dig in because I do have quite a few questions around the New Zealand side. Obviously uh, I have a bit more invested on that. But Baldy, I, what why don't we go back to you in terms of Australia. You were very modest before and that Australia was gonna get pumped. But uh, is there any sort of you know, deep down, are you starting to think, actually, maybe we can do this. David Warner, everyone had kind of written him off, and now, you know, he's starting to get into a bit of form. Finch is hitting it okay. As Binksy mentioned, or Raj mentioned, Zampa is, is bowling well. What do we think? I think Australia are a puncher's chance. I think they will have benefited, as they often do, from having to play knockout cricket for a couple of games now. So they had to play, having lost to England, they had to beat Sri Lanka, and they had to beat... Uh, they had to beat Bangladesh, I think it was, in their last game in order to to qualify. So Australia have been playing knockout cricket for a couple of games now, and I think they've started to find some steely resolve that after the England game, a lot of pundits had um, suggested that Australia had lost. There was a soft underbelly to that Australian to that Australian side. So I think Australia will have taken benefit from that. I think Pakistan are a slightly different level in class, as good as Sri Lanka have been in this tournament. Um, and as disappointing as Bangladesh have been, even with the talent that they've got, I think Pakistan are in a different class. Harris Ralph has proved that he can bowl genuine pace and be a little bit disruptive, and David Warner has struggled a little bit against that. Uh, Even against uh, the West Indies in Australia's last pool game, Andre Russell hurried up David Warner a little bit with a bouncer that he felt was a little bit uncomfortable for him, and maybe it's just the way that he's trying to attack those those kinds of deliveries. Maybe he wasn't ready for it. Maybe he was pressing on the front foot to try and hit down the ground. I'm not sure. But that is still a slight area of concern. His form against spin is excellent, which probably stands him in reasonable stead. I think Australia will fancy his matchup against Shadab Khan in particular. I think Australia have the pace bowling to potentially unlock the key partnership of Rizwan and Baba Razam. If you have a look at the test series that Australia played, both of those guys made runs against Australia at the Gabba, but Australia generally in their last test series, Cummins, Stark and, and Hazelwood, all bowling in that series got the better of them. So I think they won't be too daunted by that that opening partnership. But if Australia are going to win, we need to take two or three wickets in the power play and Stark has to get his first over right. If he gets his first over right, Australia are a chance. If it goes for 14 and all of a sudden Azam and Rizwan are away, Australia are in big trouble. And what do you make of the batting conundrum? So Steve Smith didn't bat in that last game against the West Indies. They preferred Mitchell Marsh at three. There seems to be a bit of yo-yoing there. Where do you sit on that? Mitchell Marsh has shown his form over the last eight or ten months that he deserves that spot at number three, really. I was a doubter myself. I thought Stephen Smith, as an anchor of the innings, was a much better person to play at number three. I think the way that Australia are playing their T20 cricket... They're kind of identifying the number four as the tricky position in the batting order that they need to get that kind of glue overs six to 15 out of Smith if they have him there. 
Of course, if you get to over 14, 15, and you've got 25, 30 balls left to play, then they start thinking about Maxwell. Then they start thinking about Stoinis, etc. I think Australia are going to have to win the game four down. If we get into Wade, Cummins, hopefully they play Cummins, Stark, Hazelwood, Zampa. They don't tinker with Ashton Agar at seven. If we get down into that seven, eight, nine, I think it starts getting very dicey for Australia, whereas Pakistan have proven finishes at this part of the tournament in that that part of their order. So Australia's top six are going to have to really do a job, um, but I'm, I'm a little bit happier with Smith at four, Maxwell at five, Stoinis at six, even though they haven't batted tremendously well. They've been doing a job. Yeah, look, I guess we're going to sit on the fence throughout the course of this podcast to a large extent rather than um, go with too many bold predictions. I, I think the thing for me that stacks up is at Dubai. Um, it's actually the ground in the tournament that's probably got the most even record win-loss batting first, batting second. So I think about 70 T20 games played there and it's almost half and half. I think it's 34-36 or something like that. Um, so there must be a tie in there, even my maths will tell me, um, amongst the games that have been played there. And, and interestingly, average scores as well, relatively low. So 141 average first inning score, 123 in the in the second innings. And I think probably the comment I'd make on that, and it's very similar in um, Sheikh Zayed Stadium, Abu Dhabi as well. So um, 141 plays 128 are the scores um, there. But what we've seen with these teams, I think, and the thing that's been impressive for me is this hasn't been that biff, biff, biff World Cup um, that we would have probably seen in India. Teams have actually had to adapt and we've seen bowling attacks change. We've seen batting plans change. And I think... To answer the question at the top of the podcast of the best four teams actually qualify, I think it's actually the teams that have adapted the best to those conditions across the three grounds that they've had to play at. I've got through all of those teams. England would be a great example. Have, have been dynamic, have been explosive in the way that they've played T20 cricket, but that wouldn't have won them and wouldn't have got them through the group um, in the games that they've played. They've had to graft a little bit, and I think Australia have done the same, and we've already talked about the way that New Zealand have gone about their cricket. So really only Pakistan have been that crackerjack side that have just sort of played that sort of really ultra aggressive cricket throughout the course of the tournament so um, for me that you know it is two almost genuine 50-50s and I just really hope that the weather um, and when I say the weather the dew doesn't come in um, and really kind of uh, make it so one-sided for a team batting second to kind of cruise um, to victory but um, as Baldy alluded to the fact that all these games are sort of six o'clock I think sort of um, yeah is, is nice for uh, TV apart from if you're in New Zealand uh, and, and nice for the you know nice for the fans with the the temperatures in those uh, stadiums as well look you you said that none of us are going to make uh, or get off the fence I'm very much off the fence in in this one I think Pakistan uh, wins that game I just think they've been outstanding that whole tournament you know I was going to say I, I was actually about to just say that they deserve to be there because of just the way they talked but then I'm just thinking back, I listened to this podcast yesterday with um, with Hamish Carter, uh, the New Zealand triathlete, and he, he said uh, one of the key things he learned throughout his career was that the person that deserves to win that the person that deserves to win is not the person who has that better track record of past performances. It's the person who turns up best prepared to the start line. So maybe that kind of contradicts uh, my thinking just there, and you can kind of wipe the slate clean, which probably is how a knockout cricket goes but I just think you know you mentioned a number of those guys before Baba, Rizwan they've just been outstanding we talked about this last week and that they've got players just up and down or kind of just performing their roles Shoal Malakasi Fali finishing the job for them with the bat 
and then that bowling attack's just been excellent with with Shaheen and um, Harris Ralph and yeah, all all the spinners are doing a job as well. So yeah, I'm I'm completely off the fence there. I I realised uh, as we as we move back to to New Zealand, I realised Raj, I never actually really answered your question. I kind of just said that uh, Abu Dhabi gives us a lot of a lot more options than we than we might have had. And I'm going to actually throw it back to you because I think that there's definitely a thought process about playing another seamer. Um, but I just don't know that Kyle Jamieson is the one. Uh, and if it wasn't him, then I might not, I might be con- thinking about playing another seamer on, on that pitch. What, what do you reckon? Do you think that, I mean, do you think there'll be any changes at all? So I think that uh, the team they went into against the game, uh, with Afghanistan is the team that they think is their first eleven at this stage. Uh, I think that they've got a great balance there because I think that Nisham is the sort of first first option there. And if that sort of doesn't go well, they've got Santana and Ishsodi to make up his overs if if they need to. So they've got a little bit of Plan B, which I like there, having having uh, multiple plans there if things go wrong. So from from that perspective, I think that that is what they're settled on. They're settled with Daryl uh, Mitchell opening the batting, which none of us saw, but that's what they're going to go with. And Conway batting at four, which it does... It seems to elongate the the batting lineup for New Zealand, which I like. It gives them a little bit of space uh, there. If if things go well, they go well. If they don't, we've got Conway and, and Williamson to to help us uh, after those first six overs. And yeah, the from the bowling perspective, that that's where I think it's going to be. They're going to tr- dip with their their pace bowlers uh, up front, and then uh, the spin bowlers will come in and bowl as many as they'll need to, uh, as per you saw in that Afghanistan game. Yeah, the, it's um, you sort of covered it just there because um, I, you know, threw it out to to the Twitter sphere and, and said, "Are there any questions for for the podcast?" And, and the boys at the Leading Edge Cricket Podcast came back and asked about Daryl Mitchell, and they were framing it more as a, you know, should he be our T Twenty opener kind of going forward for for I guess you know until he loses that spot I guess. But I, I was even thinking about you know should he open in the semi final, and, and I think you touched on it there and that we've had a lot of back and forth I think among our group here of of what the best balance of that side is and you probably probably the point you made there is is the most relevant in that I, I don't know where Mitchell would go if he wasn't opening it, we can see Conway going into open and maybe anchoring that innings but I don't think there's a natural spot for Mitchell if he is not opening and He's done a good enough job there, and and I think we've seen in this tournament that you just have to cash in in that power play, particularly with the way New Zealand is playing spin, and we're going to be facing Moeen, Adil Rashid, you know, maybe an over or two of Livingston if that comes to to pass, um, if if we're really struggling with spin. So, you know, yeah, I just think that the only way to get the most value out of Mitchell uh, at the start is is to play him in that opening game. Binksy, I want to go to you in terms of England because, I mean, we've talked about New Zealand actually being able to kind of craft their batting and, and get to the scores they need to. Probably Pakistan, I think they mucked around with their batting order and, and things slightly went wrong um, in terms of, you know, getting to the total they probably think they thought they needed. But what do you think New Zealand's going to need against England? Like, what is what is England going to be going out there on a... What seemed yesterday a decent-ish wicket at Abu Dhabi, certainly better than some of the other tracks we've seen on the in the tournament. What do you think England's going to be walking out there if they're walking out setting a total? What are they, what are they going to be 
setting New Zealand? Oh, look, I don't think I'd be as bold as to make a prediction on the number of runs. Um, um, you threw me a little bit lippy by being so unequivocal. We can't even predict what each other's going to do on our own cricket podcast. So um, <laughs> look, the thing for me that it centres around from an England perspective is what they do with the selection. It's quite a tricky scenario that they've got. They are in a situation where they do have those travelling reserves, which isn't normally common from a, a T20 or a, an ICC um, perspective. You've normally got your squad, you replace them within it, but with you know COVID, etc., the squads have, have been a little bit enlarged. And um, me personally, and there's a couple of reasons for this. Uh, long listeners will know that I, I'm not a massive fan of Sam Billings. Um, you know, he's had a number of opportunities to kind of set the world alight and hasn't really um, done so. Um, So I'm not sure that he is the answer. And I think it also just mucks up that batting order a little bit because it means that someone like Bairstow that they had a plan to bat for um, comes up the order. You're replacing um, him. I'll leave it here from that perspective. Um, James Vince came in and replaced Jason Roy at the top of the order in England's ICC 50 over World Cup campaign. And that went pretty well for them. So I would hope that they repeat that with James Vince coming in to replace Jason Roy at the top of the order as long as he's in some kind of nick um, in the nets and then it doesn't affect um, the rest of that. I think the bowling's going to be the key though. Uh, we've talked about this a hell of a lot. Uh, New Zealand's bowling plan has been very different um, to the way um, that a number of nations have gone about um, their setup. You know, We talked about whether or not you had the extra medium pace option um, in there. I think your spinners have done really, really well. My concern from an England perspective is um, Mark Wood, who looked short of a gallop coming in to replace Tamal Mills in that game, um, got a little bit of tap. Um, so look, that's my biggest concern really, is that we get our bowling lineup right for that batting. And I think to your point around Williamson and Conway, I think they would really love pace on in those middle overs. And with someone like Mark Wood, who doesn't have the variations that someone like a Tamal Mills has got. Um, So whether England do something really, really bold and look at some matchups and bring someone in that hasn't played, um, like a Reese Topley um, with that left arm option, or a Tom Curran, who came in the squad to replace his brother, who was uh, ruled out due to injury. So uh, for me, low-scoring game, I think it's going to be... Um, you know, an absolutely uh, fascinating one. Uh, and, and look, it's too close to call for, for me. Um, and the hopefully doesn't come down, as I said, to the toss or the dew. Well, guys, I've sat on the fence for long enough. I've got splinters um, right uh, where the sun doesn't shine. We are going to go around the table, though. It wouldn't be a top order podcast without an erroneous prediction or two. I'm going to come to the Kiwi boys first. So predictions for the semis and then the final and who's going to lift the trophy come uh, Monday morning next week? Oh, look, you know, I've talked talked around it, and I think you probably all, anyone who listens to the show, the, the three of you uh, uh, on the other side of the screen there, you know that I'm, It's my heart says New Zealand. I, I actually just can't, I can't really think past that in terms of us winning certainly the semi-final and, and then, you know, trying to go on to the final. I, I, I think, as I said at the top, when, when I started talking about Pakistan, I, I do feel the same about England and that they've... Pakistan and England have been the best two sides in the competition from what I've seen. If, if it's purely on that, I think that those two teams should 
should play out the final. And I think if I had to actually put money on it, those are the two teams that I would say win, you know, are there. And I actually stick with what I said last week and that I think Pakistan is the favourite. I, I think they've been absolutely brilliant in this tournament. And, I, you know, if, if they produce anywhere near the level that they've been, you said it before, Binksy, that they've just... They haven't been troubled, and I, and I actually don't think that's a problem. I think that's, for them, they're going to go, this is great. We're playing absolutely brilliantly. Everyone is completely doing their role, and yeah, I, I think it's, I, th- I think they're red-hot favourites for me, because uh, particularly with, with the Roy injury and, and Mills injury, you know, England, a few things just not quite going their way, and obviously, Devin Conway and uh, Kane Williamson will find a way to beat them, so yeah, over to you, Raj. Yeah, so I think the winner will come from one of these four semi-finalists. Um, <laughs> that, uh, uh, when it comes to the, the Australia-Pakistan game, I think Pakistan will win that game and get through to the final, uh, mainly because I just, I've just i been I've been bad-mouthing Australia for a few months now in their preparation for the World Cup. I think it's probably time whether that, that, um, that's going to come home to roost, in, in my mind anyway. Uh, with the uh, New Zealand-England game, I, I think England are the favourites there. I think I'm... I'm I want, obviously want New Zealand to win, but I think uh, England are probably uh, the short-priced favourites in my mind. They're, they're a good team. They know how to win key situations, uh, and, and that's going to hold them in good stead, I think. When it comes to the final, I think that uh, England will win that as well. With with Pakistan, I understand a lot of what uh, Lippi said there and agree with it, but I think that they do have uh, more weaknesses in the fact that if we, they lose Baba, if they lose Rizwan early, I think that that goes a long way to them losing it. Who's going to pick up the mantle and score the runs for them? Uh, maybe we'll see it in the next couple of games if, if that happens. But uh, yeah, uh, Pakistan-England final for me with England winning on boundary count back. Well, there won't be a boundary count back, hopefully, because there'll be enough super overs to last out any kind of permutations of, of tied super overs. An Australian-New Zealand final would make me very happy as a sports fan. Uh, as an Australian, that would make me happy. I think the two better sides are England and Pakistan, and I think they're the sides that are going to win the semi-final. I think the final will be an absolute crackerjack between England and Pakistan. I actually think Pakistan will beat Australia quite comfortably because they just... A Pakistan side that believes in themselves can do anything. And this Pakistan side clearly believes that they can do anything. And that's super, super dangerous. I think England will be clinical. I think England will take care of business against New Zealand, even though New Zealand have been taking care of business this whole tournament. I think that England have got enough star power and enough firepower, even without Jason Roy, that they'll, t- they'll take care of business against New Zealand, even if it's a close, low-scoring game. And then I just, I just, for some reason, I just like the mercurial nature of Pakistan. I think they've got... The, they've got the belief in themselves that, that they can win two games on the bounce now. That we've won five, we can win another two, doesn't matter. Um, so I would take Pakistan to beat England in that final. I think England will fancy themselves as well, but I, I just I just want to be part of the fairy tale, I think. What about you, Binksy? Thanks for asking, Raj. Um, for me, oh, it's, it's a really tough one because I think the, the best thing about this is that Every single team in this, um, probably other than England for you boys, because you all have um, one thing in common, which is a hatred of, of English cricket. So um, I, I think that the, the beautiful thing is that all of these teams have actually got something that's got a little bit of romance about it. Um, Pakistan have obviously been pretty ill-treated by 
the way that world cricket's unfolded over the course of the last 12 months with their uh, return to being able to play international cricket being kiboshed by a couple of pullouts from tours from Pakistan. New Zealand, of course, would really like to avenge that t- uh, that 50 over um, loss in such you know heartbreaking um, circumstances. Um, and then Australia just haven't really been in the reckoning and have somehow managed to muscle their way into yet another ICC um, set of semi-finals. So look, for me, I really want England to win. Of course I do. But I'm almost quite happy with whichever team wins. And almost if New Zealand pip England in that and Australia get through, I'm going to get to watch Baldy like a cat on a hot tin roof in that final and that's going to be so nice to be in that you know in that room or um, on that slack channel um, just watching his kind of kind of blood pressure go up a, a, a little bit like he did to, to us when we um, all sat around watching that 50 over World Cup final a couple of years ago but to get off the fence I think England go through I, I do I think they've got the quality to beat New Zealand and then I really want to see Australia go through as a precursor to this Ashes because it's going to be awesome to get on that plane um, from an Englishman's perspective and um, take the trophy with us to our country club resort in Victoria as we warm up for um, what will hopefully be a quarantine-free Ashes. Well, guys, at the risk of annoying the purists, we are going to leave the podcast here having only really talked about white ball cricket. Of course, there is some news in the test cricketing arena we will be back next week to preview the New Zealand test squad which has been announced this week also by then England will be halfway through their quarantine so we'll have some more news on what has been being delivered into the English players hotel rooms uh, from a managed isolation meals perspective Stuart Broad uh, not happy with the quality of his yogurts apparently but that will be coming up on the top order podcast in the feed in about a week's time Uh, Stay tuned, of course, in the feed for our other episode this week, which is about the evolution of T20 cricket. But for now, in Auckland, it's good night and God bless from us all here. We'll see you very soon. Good night.